there are some lies in our science books. Taught it for 15 years. Even though I'm not teaching it anymore, I still like to study. It's so many neat things to learn. We're going to cover some of that tonight. Perception is being managed. We are being steered and guided by a hidden hand. The whole world has been duped by the media that is not real. <laughs> smart thinking, possible time traveler, smart thinking. That night, boom, contact memory. And then, Alex, if you don't agree, you'll be sent to a re-education camp. Just because I'm old doesn't mean I've lost my touch with the ladies. Experts are suggesting that we're in a golden age of shape-shifting reptilian sightings. Now, why is that? I was, and still am, a huge conspiracy guy. I literally ran out of new tin hat topics to research. It was most definitely not capable of melting steel. Then I would be a crackpot if I thought that was that was the, the case. Thought that was that was the, the case. Welcome to the Hypothetical Institute, a podcast about conspiracies. My name is Luke. I'm Salty. I'm Cam. Gents, how are we? Pretty good. Yeah, pretty pretty good actually. Uh, really excited to to be uh, chatting with you guys about this topic because it's a, a pretty good one, I think. And other than that, the sun's been out all day, so hard to complain. Is, yeah. is the sun being out suggested? Also, the guns have been out. Uh, Would have thought the buns. Sorry. Buns. Sun's out, buns out. Yeah, I got my buns out today. Isn't that the saying? How are you going, uh, Cam? I'm going good. I enjoyed this one. Yeah. So let's let's have a chat about it. Absolutely. Should we set the scene? Sure. Go on. Are you are you saying you want to set the scene? Is this you setting the scene? The year. Dun 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 is nineteen eighty. Hey is your shirt changing colour? No. Are you sure? 11 years at least. It's December 1980 in Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk, England. Hypercolour is incredibly popular because just next to Rendlesham Forest are two US air bases. Well, actually, UK air bases, Woodbridge and uh, the other one. Yep. Yep. And so they would have access to all of the latest clothing technology. Yeah. Sure. They would have so all just got their hypercolour shirts. Yeah, they were concepting hypercolour. Uh, Woodbridge and Bentwaters were the air bases. They're just sort of directly north and south of this little forest called Rendlesham. And yep. it was at this place on December 26, 1980, that some people saw some very strange things. You know why everyone was banging around in their hypercolour? It's because it was the day after Christmas. Yeah. yeah, so they just got them. They just got them. <laughs> Everyone got brand new hypercolour t-shirt, but they'd all got it from like the sergeant had gifted them at the Air Force Base because they couldn't get them from their parents because it wasn't in civilian hands for 11 years. Yeah. So, so, so the sergeant like, fellas, got a gift for all ears. Yeah, you can't wear this in public. <laughs> no. Because you'll freak people out. Yeah. No one, no one else in the world's going to see this for at least 11 years. And it's going to blow their minds in, so imagine what it will do now. <laughs> So, when I first heard that people saw, like, strange things in the sky on December 26th, I was like, oh, okay, well, it, you know, if it had been a day earlier. But it was like, 
midnight, one minute past midnight on December 26th. It was Christmas Day that they saw this. Mystery solved. It was Santa Claus. Ah, a tardy Santa. Well, you know, he's just wrapping up. He's probably doing the army boys last. Like they count their votes last. (laughs) (laughs) Mystery solved. Okay, so we're talk- today we're talking about the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, known as Britain's Roswell. Yeah. yeah. I like how every article made sure to really mention that in the second paragraph. Rendlesham, Britain's Roswell. Yeah. And for, for something that's Britain's Roswell, I had never fucking heard of it before. Yeah. No, you're right. They needed to, they need to get a show about teens set there yeah and then it will burn into our memories yeah well it's funny because like i'd never heard of it but then when i went looking for videos and stuff it was on like unsolved mysteries it was on heaps of stuff Mm. Mm. when i first started looking into this the first videos i found were not uh slick highly polished productions (laughs) let me just put it like that the very first video i watched about the rendlesham forest incident were these two blokes just ordinary british blokes uh, dressed fully in camo. <laughs> One of them had a big bushy beard. They were sort of like uh, Mike from Spaced. Oh, yeah. One of them was like Mike from Spaced, and one of them was like his friend. I watched this with my partner, and they were like, is that his friend or his enemy? <laughs> <laughs> because the guy with the big bushy beard was so into seeing the UFOs, and the other guy, it felt like he was there... Just to, like, hang shit on his mate. Right. Uh, good. Uh, it was a relationship that might be familiar to listeners of this show. Yeah. <laughs> as, but, as in the TV show Spaced with Nick Frost and uh, the other guy. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, the least famous one. <laughs> so they went out to Rendlesham Forest to, like, investigate the UFO site. Yep. And the, but the very first thing they do is they pull up in their van, they get all their camo, they're out in all their camo, and they say, well, first thing, we just have to make the tea. Oh, yeah, I watched this video. These guys are awesome. <laughs> and then they put a pot of tea on. But even then, like, the guy was like, you put it on. And the other guy's like, wait, why do I have to do it? <laughs> I also found it very telling that more than once in the video, they're like, oh, look, mushrooms. <laughs> oh, maybe this is a different one. No, no, the one I watched was three dudes. I think we may be talking about the same guys because there were like they had multiple videos, right? Because the one I watched, the one I watched, I, I loaded it because it, it had something different in the title than just the incident. It was talking about a tunnels conspiracy, Rendlesham yeah. Forest tunnels conspiracy, and I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And it started the same way. There was these three blokes, and they started off just making tea outside their van, and then like the first thirty-five minutes or some shit of the video was them driving around looking to buy some eggs from some farmers so they could cook <laughs> up their breakfast. <laughs> I think these are the same guys, but different videos. And actually, okay. my one probably did have three guys in it because there was a guy filming. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you didn't lose just one because his camo was too good? Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> so, okay. So, what's we haven't really talked about the incident. We're in the forest. Yeah. It's Boxing Day. Everyone's got their hypercolor. Yep. Yep. Everyone's got their new New Order album. Yep. yep. Farmers are selling eggs by the roadside by the half dozen. Yep. It's, yeah, it's. Boxing Day morning, and some airmen at the one of the bases see some lights in the forest, mm-hmm. and they're thinking, "Well, we're airmen. Uh, there's airmen on the other side of the forest. If if we're seeing strange lights, it's probably because someone's bloody crashed their plane, like we're always doing." Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, 
are planes crashing that often? <laughs> that that would be your assumption? Uh, By 1980, you wouldn't think so. Yeah, Maybe if this was like World War One yeah. and they were like canvas biplanes. But yeah, they're like, that's probably a plane crash we should investigate because it's either someone we work with or someone we're going to have to like see at a, a Christmas party. Yeah. Yeah. Because presumably these two air bases would like get together for trivia nights and things. Yeah. So it's yeah. going to be all, it would be awkward if we just left them to die. Some sort yeah. of mixer. So they go out to check it out and the guy, one of the guys that checks it out is uh, a expert in aircraft recognition, Sergeant Jim Penniston. Mm. This is a guy who his field of expertise is looking in an aircraft and saying to, oh, that's a helicopter or that's an aeroplane, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And maybe even telling you, you know, oh, that's a, you know, that's got two propellers. Yeah. Or he may even have more specific aircraft knowledge than that. I don't know. But he goes out into the forest with a few of the other airmen and they come to a clearing in the forest and they see this craft on the ground of the clearing. And he looks at it, processes all of the different types of aircraft through his brain that he knows them all. As is his specialty. Yep. Yeah. And he looks at this and he says, this isn't in my database of airplanes. Unidentified. Or helicopters or even, you know, like a, a watercraft that hovers, a hovercraft. Hmm. It's not even a hovercraft. This is some unknown. A- hang on, I'm going to get stuck. On this. I'm going to get stuck on this. Sorry, Cam. Uh, hovercraft. Are we, are we saying that that is a flying object that he would be able to recognise? They hover. I mean, they don't. They don't completely hover, do they? They're still a little bit touching, right? Do they? Yeah, definitely still a little bit touching. Are you saying they're just bouncing a lot, like the edge of the skirt that fills yeah. with air drags along the ground? I think. Yeah, it drags the bottom drags for sure. So if it was a hovercraft, he probably wouldn't have recognised it. Maybe. Hmm. But at any rate, he looks and he says, I don't know what this is. This is an unknown object. Actually, why is he even looking at it at this point? It's not flying. This has got nothing to do with this bloke. Yeah. I mean, he he can recognise them when they're on the ground. His specialty (laughs) isn't looking at flying or planes only in the air. And when they land, he's like, oh, I don't know what that is. (laughs) Whoa, fuck. What happened? Where did that plane go? All I see Uh, is some sort of tank. (laughs) <laughs> Next minute, though, the object goes from being an unidentified object to being an unidentified flying object. And that's when he goes, yep, got it, unidentified. <laughs> it's your classic UFO. Now it's in the air. And off it zips. Okay. Well, then that's, that's the end of it. No. No, it's not. So they go back to base. They presumably tell people about this because a few nights later... Uh, people report seeing the lights again and the straight-laced sergeant bloke, captain, hey, whatever. Can I dial back one evening? Because yeah. um, I listened to an interview with this guy yeah. and he's given many interviews over the years. This one was on the BBC, uh, which you may have heard of. Uh, and he says on the second night, to so the first night those guys come back and people are like, ah, good on yous, you know, whatever doesn't seem that crazy. And then the next night, a senior police officer, and he uh, makes a point to sort of pause and say, who was a female, by the way? Oh. Because the interviewer was a woman. So I think he kind of wanted to be like, we were pretty progressive in the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But she, so she went out and saw some lights uh, and immediately had a nervous breakdown and was sent home to the States. 
that was never mentioned in any other thing that I saw. I didn't no. see anything about that. Uh, so, yeah, that was the second night. And then the, the third night, so it was three consecutive nights. Yeah, the third night, someone says, look, the lights are back. And the, the straight-laced deputy base commander. Before even that, Cam, you missed out on <laughs> what they were doing. Oh, well, they, they were having a party, right? Little Christmas party. They were having a little Christmas dinner. On the 27th of December. Yeah, story's full of holes already. <laughs> anyway, someone says, look, the lights are back. At which point the deputy base commander the straight-laced Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt mm. says, I'm going to go and, you know, put a stop to all of this nonsense. I'm going to take my... Obvi- obviously, people have been, you know, talking poppycock. He's not saying any of this stuff. He's American too. Yep. They've been talking absolute garbage. Hogwash. About these visual phenomenon. I'm going to go out there and tape record everything. <laughs> And we'll put a stop to all of this nonsense. They had cameras in the 1980s, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, but probably not. But you know what? If you were like a fancy, you know, kind of on top of your tech guy, you probably had a micro cassette recorder. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Apparently, he carried a micro cassette recorder everywhere because I think I'm not the only person who was like, why is this guy got a little tape recorder? He said it was um, better for taking notes in the field. Mm. Which, you know, it does make sense. Yeah. I think that he worked in a, the sort of toxic workplace where he had to secretly tape record things. Uh, okay. You know, <laughs> those co-workers. Guys? Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's out they, there. They had video cameras in 1980. Yeah, but night, like. They were big. They were big like, and bulky. And going mm. out at night. You know, they wouldn't have worked for shit. They're not going out to document it, they're going out to see for themselves. Mm. And he probably just went, I had keys, uh, wallet, little tape recorder. That's his like usual carry kit. I think though that he's like going out there to debunk it. And if I was him, and if I was making a movie of this, what would happen is that he would pick up a huge camera and be like, Oh, geez, one of these days they've got to make these smaller. And then he would go out and film it. I think I did see an interview with this guy and he said that's what they were doing. They went out there to, to debunk it. So he grabbed yeah. a Geiger counter and his tape recorder. He doesn't do a very good job of debunking it though. Cause they get out there to go look at the lights and he's tape recording. He's like, and he, you can listen to the tapes of this. And he's mm. like, our Geiger counter is going off. There's some radiation here that is not normal. Mm. And we can see some crazy lights. Yeah, so after the Geiger counter goes off for a bit, they start seeing uh, – he described it to this interview that I was listening to as like a a basketball that had like molten lava dripping off and, and light shooting off. And on the tape, I listened to some of the, the tape. I actually listened to all of it, 17 minutes worth. It's on, it's on the Wikipedia. And you don't actually have to read the tape from top to bottom. You just listen to it. Left to right, though, I'd assume. Mm, it does play left to right, correct. Yeah. But you – you can hear them talking about it. One guy's talking about it looks like an eye blinking at them uh, and, and sort of moving through the forest. Which I would note is nothing like what the people in the first night described. No, not at all. Um, and it's also quite different to a basketball. <laughs> molten mm. lava. <laughs> yeah, w- winking around, molten but, lava. You know. Yeah, it would certainly make the game more interesting if they did melt and blink. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, all right, so they, they start seeing this this lights, and then what happens? 
Well, then everyone just takes a break for like three weeks before they write any report about it. <laughs> yeah. I think at one point they, they say it shoots a laser at them as well. Mm. On the tape, they did not seem alarmed enough for a UFO shooting a laser. No. Like, oh, there's a light coming towards us. And they're like, oh, it's flying away now. So they they write some reports about it and then it gets put into the files, you know, the secret files of the MOD, the Ministry of Defence, for like two years. Yeah. And then it gets uh, freedom of information. So th- I've seen people being like, you know, there was a cover-up, right? Yeah. They didn't go to a lot of effort to cover it up, especially since, you know, freedom of information requests are often knocked back. And I would say ones concerning matters of national security are probably knocked back, you know, more often than not, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then it seems like this one, like UFO Monthly, wrote to them and said, oh, could we have the files relating to this thing? And they're like, yep, here they all are. Yeah. (laughs) Here's the literal recording uh, that you can just put up on Wikipedia now. Yeah. Have fun with it. Go make sure you have a cup of tea before you wander around the forest. Yep. And then they get the files and they're like, what is this redacted T-shirts? Uh, forget you story. <laughs> so, yeah, this all comes out and, and it kind of becomes a whole thing on the, uh, it becomes the British Roswell. Yeah. I think it's interesting that a lot of this, a lot of the stuff about it comes out years after it happened. Many years. So there's lots of people that are like, yeah, I remember seeing something. And there's no one who at the time was like, I saw something last night. <laughs> so the the one, uh, the very first guy that we talked about that uh, is really good at identifying craft once they're in the air. Yeah, mm. we should probably talk about him more because his story is actually quite a bit more complicated. Yeah. So he, he started doing like the UFO uh, documentary and, and interview circuit in the 90s and 2000s. But he claims that he's got a notebook that he, he he was telepathically transmitted binary code, and when he wrote it all down in his notebook, it told him that they were beings from the future, Ooh. and they were like showing him humanity. I couldn't actually find the details. They were um, delivering him some t-shirts. Oh, so I, I did see him talking about this. He says that. He, so he went, in, he went into the clearing, he sees the craft, he tries to walk towards it, but it's like walking through water mm-hmm. until finally he gets sort of close to it and suddenly it all just sort of, all of the resistance goes away and he can walk up to it. And then he touches it and he sees there's hieroglyphs uh, sort of etched into the side of the craft, which is like a triangle. Mm-hmm. And he decides, you know, and I'm an idiot, I'll touch it. So he touches it and he feels all of these ones and zeros flashing into his head like he's downloading something. Uh, you know, the classic 1980 sensation of downloading things. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes home and he writes down in his notebook the uh, hieroglyphs that he saw. And then he also writes down all of these ones and zeros from his head. He, uh, he feels like he's got this you know, pressure in his head that's pushing on his brain. But as he writes, he starts to feel better. He writes them all down and eventually he writes down all of the numbers and then he, he doesn't feel the pressure anymore. And then he puts the notebook away for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Because his explanation was like, you know, I just sort of forgot about it. Like I got it all out and then it was just like I, it wasn't important anymore. Hmm. Uh, which sort of that that's there's a consistency to that, right? Like if it, if it was like this sort of force 
making him write it down. And then it's like, once it's out, it's like, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of uh, untasteless thing we can compare it to. But anyway, uh, he gets it all out. He closes his notebook, puts it out. He's like, I don't want to look at that anymore. And then 30 years later, someone's like, so what were the hieroglyphs that were written on the thing that you've talked about in your X-Files interviews? And he's like, I'll get out my notebook where I drew it. And he opens it up and he's like, what are all these? No, Oh, yeah, I wrote all these down. So it's all ones and zeros. So it's binary. So they decode it. You know, they just run it through a binary <laughs> translator. Yeah. And it says um, it's a message from the year 8001. 8100? Uh, oh, 8100, yeah. And it also has like a bunch of uh, coordinates to different places around the world, like the Great Pyramids, like the Nazca uh, racetracks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, the Nazca, uh, whatever, you know. The lines. Yeah, the lines. Yeah, the lines. And like also something in Greece, like all uh, areas of great significance to humanity. Right. All things that... that a great significance to humanity up until now, hmm. working on the assumption between the year 1980 and the year 8100, hmm. nothing else of significance gets Similarly, all, all locations that you could probably connect with straight lines. Yeah, that's Between true. them. <laughs> between them. Yeah. And there's also, there's like a very vague sort of message of hope or something. Oh, yeah. It doesn't go into any great detail, yeah. uh, which makes you wonder if you were either aliens or indeed humans from the year 8100, why would you fucking bother? <laughs> yeah, you don't, you, you, you'd be very specific, right? So one thing I was sus about was like, why would aliens or even future humans send back binary code? It seems a little simple. It seems simple for... It seems too simple for aliens. If I know anything from the film Contact, it's you'd send, like, you know, the eight one. The eight one? Octary. Yeah. You'd, you'd send, like, the more complicated one so you could have 3D, like, diagrams and stuff in there. Yeah, okay, yeah. Mm. But also, and I could sort of understand maybe humans from the future sending back a message in binary because you'd be like, all right, they'll be able to work it out. Mm. But are we supposed to think that by the year 8100, they're still speaking English? Yeah. That they still <laughs> would be able to commu communicate any message to us? Isn't this like a whole field of future study? The idea that by the year 8100, language will be so different that would, it would be impossible to communicate? I mean, we know based on, you know, we did Shakespeare last week and the language is already very different. Mm. Uh, and that was, what, 300 years, 400 years ago? Mm. You know, there's all, that, there's all that stuff where they're like, you know, we're burying all this nuclear waste. We need to find some way to tell someone in the year 8100, don't, you know, don't lick this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's, I think, there's a lot of, you know, cool diagrams of, you know, you know no proud accomplishment is uh, heralded here. Uh, you know, we'll put lots of spikes in the ground and stuff. But I think basically the consensus is that it will be impossible to communicate anything to those people in the future. Things will just be too different. So I don't know how in the year 8100 humans were like, oh, yeah, we've worked out exactly how to yeah. send you this stuff. Mm. And also, will the Great Pyramids of uh, Egypt still be around in the year 8100 mm. for them to be like, oh, yeah, we've got the long and lat, lat of that to send you? Mm. And also, we know where they are. You could have just said 
go check out the pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> By 1980, they were really well discovered. Um, so he's got this notebook. It's full of binary, which, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think he's kind of made it up. Yeah. Um, and I, I read this as a blog, uh, Ian Ridpath, where he kind of unpacks all the times that Pen- Peniston has mentioned his notebook. Mm. Uh, and basically, he didn't mention it at all up until 2003. <laughs> no, 2003 was the first time. All right. Um, but he doesn't say, uh, I think it's a slightly different story what's in there. But this guy notes that the first page on the notebook, the very first page, has the date 27th of December 1980, uh, which is the day after. He, he saw, saw the thing. It's not the day, and it's not even the day of, like we, you know, as you said, it was the middle of the night, so it was actually very early on the 26th. Yeah, so when he gets home, it should be still the 26th. Yeah, when he gets home, has a little nap, wakes up in the afternoon, it's still the 26th. Yeah, yeah. wakes up with his binary boner and it's got to get it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, he also has the times written in uh, civilian time, 12.20 rather than 0.020. Right. 12.51 instead of 0.051, mm. uh, which is very questionable for a, um, an army man such as himself or an aviation man, I should say. It's sloppy work. So I did see some people being like, you know, he could have just sort of subconsciously written this stuff down. It's like like it might be, it might be something he genuinely wrote down at the time, but it might not be from anything it could just be he subconsciously thought of these numbers and wrote them down it's like uh no i don't think so <laughs> i don't think he's written down a complex binary code that's why it took him until 2000 whatever to talk about it because he's been spending all the fucking 30 years writing out binary well yeah, that's the other thing it, it would be a reasonably long thing to write out mm. 27 um, pages it makes you wonder why you would fake it. Wouldn't you come up with a shorter message for them to, to have sent? <laughs> G'day. So there are, I, I kind of spent some time in um, some Facebooks. There's a Facebook page called Rendlesham Binary Solved or something. And there's another couple of other Facebooks that they're always kind of quoting and talking about. And, and there seems to be quite a lot of infighting within this world of like this guy's story and other people. And it's not really clear what they're all infighting over, but there's sort of tension in there. You know, some people are liars. This person's a fraud. Um, and it wasn't really clear, but I, I don't think he's very trustworthy even to people that call their Facebook page, Rendlesham binary, Rendlesham <laughs> binary solved. Um, but another, another, another thing that came up, um, was he also went under, allegedly went under hypnosis in 1994 and says that he became convinced that it was a craft from tens of thousand years in the f- Earth's future, which is at odds with the 8100 date. Hmm. But that's before he knew about the code. That is true. Um, it contained our distant descendants ret- returning to obtain genetic material to keep their ailing species alive, their time travellers, their us. So they're coming to harvest ourselves. Hmm. And yep. then while they're here, they're like, by the way, fucking go check out those pyramids. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> yeah. We don't have them. We've just we've just had to look them up on Wikipedia. Mm. You go look at them now. 
uh, and maybe go look at that thing in Greece. And yeah, funnily, guys, what you've got while well, you've got it. Yeah, mm. funnily, guys, in the future, you read Wikipedia from the bottom to the top. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's well, why. Our societies across time cannot communicate with yeah. each other. And in 1980, the guy was like, what the fuck is Wikipedia? You mean the Britannica? Um, yeah, so his story is, is somewhat full of holes, but I think he's he's doing the UFO circuit these days. I, I'm not sure he's still alive, but he was for a while, so he's probably getting money out of it. The other one, um, did you guys have much more in Charles Holt, the colonel, the guy with the tape recorder? Oh, just that he seemed very straight-laced. But then I also thought, is he so straight-laced that he would be the ultimate Air Force prankster? <laughs> that he would go out with his tape recorder and, like, just record bullshit? Yeah. And back at base, they're all like, well, Lieutenant Commander Holt was like, saw some shit out there. Like, he's so straight-laced, he wouldn't make this up. Mm. He's always making his shine-out shoes or whatever. Did you um, and, he, and he's just quietly chuckling to himself. <laughs> Speaking of being a prankster, did you see the thing that they were saying that it might have been a prank played on the British soldiers by the uh, on the US soldiers by the British SAS soldiers? I do. I've got two prank gears. Can we can right. we hold off on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah tell us the, the car park what you want to say about Holt. Yeah, let's get. I want to get this Holt stuff out. Um, so I listened to a podcast with him. Um, I didn't listen to all of it because it was quite long. But the guy on the podcast, Kevin Randall, who's the host of it, uh, he starts off the podcast by saying he's going to go on one of his copyrighted rants. Uh, <laughs> well, don't, tell, don't tell us what he said then. Yeah, I can't, I can't repeat it. <laughs> Look, it wasn't very – like if I listened to this guy and if he hadn't told me it was copyrighted, I'd be like, that rant should probably be in the public domain. Uh, but this guy, uh, Holt, said – Again, on this this one, he said it on the BBC when I listened to, he said, I, I wish it was over. I wish people stopped talking about it. Um, you know, I spent two, a couple of years not talking about it, and they were great. You know, the two years before it all came out. And since then, I, I just forced to talk about it, which is why I'm doing this small-time podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, well, like, that's not the only podcast he's been on. I noticed that all of these guys were very accessible. Yeah. He's also written a book about it as well. Yeah. I hate talking about it. That's why I wrote about it. Um, and it's just like, you know, this it, one thing he keeps on saying is I wouldn't say this because, you know, it would be awful for my career if I said this. So why would I make it up? Uh, That's kind of a line. You know, it would be worse for me. But luckily my my peers thought it was okay and they didn't judge me for it. <laughs> yeah. So he um, there was a documentary film, like behind the scenes footage, where, so Charles Holt, I've heard him say it was 40 minutes that the first guys were unaccounted for, the Pendleton guy, Peniston, sorry. Um, and then on this documentary footage, he says they were unaccounted for for hours and he thinks they got abducted. So Holt's story is, is full of holes. Mm. What do we want to talk about, the pranks? Let's talk about some pranks. Like, yeah, let's get into what actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Salty, you had some prank gear. Oh, uh, no, I just, I, in one of the docos I watched, it said that, um, the, I think the British dudes used to, uh, the American dudes used to hang heaps of shit on the British guys. So the, um, the SAS, SAS guys got a bunch of like, uh, balloons and just really basic shit. Uh, flares and stuff. And flares and, and yeah, just kind of. Basically pranked, <laughs> pranked the uh, the US guys into so it was the, thinking it was a UFO. 
I think it was the one of them was the SAS. So it was the SAS guys did the pranking. The other was the RAF, or was it the American soldiers? Um, but either way, that is because they were testing out new black parachutes. Right. And the the other the other army guys saw these bat black parachutes and thought they were bad guys. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. They detained them. Yeah, detained them and called them <laughs> un- un- unidentified aliens. Yeah. And allegedly the SAS were pissed off being called aliens on their home turf. And they're like, we'll show you aliens. <laughs> All right, mate, we'll show you some aliens. <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense. It does make it does make some good sense, yeah. And so the thing that made me think, oh, maybe it could be a prank, because what you'd think is that after all this time, someone would have come out and said, oh, it was just a prank. Uh, we just we were just you know getting one over them because of this. Yeah, you know, they arrested us. We were annoyed. Uh, ha 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 ha. We won the prank war. But the thing that made me think maybe it was a prank, but no one will ever cop to it, is that some guy ended up getting compo from the VA for like injuries he sustained during the Rendlesham incident. Right. Yes, uh, is heart injuries caused by radiation, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so that made me think, well, if he's gone and done that, and apparently it was a bit of a battle to get them to pay up, but they eventually did. But that made me think all of those guys who would be like, oh, it was just a prank, they're never going to come out and say it now because they're like, yeah, I'm not going to screw this bloke. We might have been in a prank war, but we're still on the same side. Mm. Yeah, workers unite. Yeah. Us, us boys against, you know, the, the, the brass. Or, or do you think the brass were looking at all the other dodgy things they were doing every other place this guy was stationed and being like, uh, yeah, let's just, let's just call it the UFO thing. Yes. Let's hope no one looks further into anything else we were doing. Yeah, no one needs to wonder why a lot of our guys have got heart conditions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or why their T-shirts just magically keep changing colours. <laughs> Um, did you guys find the other prank? No. Uh, so this one, this is from the BBC. Uh, there was a so on the tape you can hear Holt say uh, he sees red, white, and blue lights of the UFO hovering over Woodbridge. Uh, and there's a copper. The copper was out there in his car, and I think he'd heard there was a thing. Something happened a couple of nights before, so he drove out there in his car and. Um, Shine, turned on his red and blue emergency lights and pointed white flashlights through them as well to to play a little prank on the soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this guy's quoted uh, in, the, in the BBC. So he's he's owned up to like, oh, yeah, I was out there doing this little prank. <laughs> so, I mean, it's hard to know why. Like, was he just sitting out there all night watching from a distance waiting for people? <laughs> Maybe. He's probably or, bored. Or do you think he was out there for a different reason? He's like, oh, crap, I need to get ahead of the story. Yeah. <laughs> I was up to way worse things. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly wasn't dogging. <laughs> uh, so should we talk about the lighthouse? Yeah, we should absolutely talk about the, the reason for all this. <laughs> so there's a lighthouse that's right near all of this. Yeah. Uh, when you're at the ro- – when you're at the spot where they were standing when they saw the the strange lights in the sky, that is where you stand to see the lighthouse. It's like the one position you can see the light from the lighthouse from. Uh, people have said, you clearly saw the lighthouse, to which the response is, no, because the lighthouse doesn't shine its light, you know, back towards land, to which 
everyone else says, yeah, it does. It spins around in a circle. <laughs> All the time, it spins around. So so one of the things I think on the tape as well, one of them says you can see it flashing every five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> having li- having lived near a lighthouse? Yep. Sounds, yeah. sounds like a lighthouse. Um, one other of the witnesses, Ed Kevin Sag described it as a beacon of light off in the distance. <laughs> well, John Burroughs, another uh, eyewitness who was there, said it was a lighthouse. <laughs> um, there's also star-like objects. So after they saw that the light, you know, flying around in the in the forest, they they thought they saw lights flying off as well. One of them, uh, the brightest star in the sky at that time which is serious, uh, was to the south, which is exactly where they're facing <laughs> uh, and quite low on the horizon as well. So so perhaps the star-like object that they saw in the sky was perhaps a star? A star. I think it could have been a star, yeah. yeah. Just a light as. And I guess my, my thinking of Holt, you know, going, oh, I wish this was all over, buy my book. I feel like he <laughs> was quite embarrassed after the fact and being like, oh, man, I went really hard. I took a tape recorder, I said I had evidence, and turned out it was a lighthouse and I looked like an asshole. Yeah, so I'm just <laughs> going to stick with this. Yeah, let's just, let's just double down for 40 years. Um, the, other, the only other thing I had to add was uh, there's three amateur investigators in the UK at the moment. Um, oh, no, sorry, I've got one more thing that they think it might be. Oh, yeah. Well, firstly, uh, police and uh, local hunters went out there and, you know, how we had allegedly landed and there was holes in the ground, Mm. Um, which is what Holt said he saw when he went out as well, clear holes in the ground. Uh, Apparently, they were rabbit holes. Right. uh, According to the the hunters they were like yeah it's just rabbits it's just what like, rabbits leave um oh, and there was also there was like burn marks on the trees and branches were and, broken and branches were broken and they were like you know what could have done that and one of the lo- like local guys was like oh yeah that was bob oh <laughs> 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 bob tree burner <laughs> trees again i think you'd just been like chopping off branches yeah, All right. <laughs> Um, the other thing, uh, so another pe- group has claimed responsibility as well, which is the Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Squadron, who were based in the RAF base at the same time, but they were a completely separate department. And they were involved in the recovery of command module capsules used during the Apollo moon missions. Right. Uh, and then during the 1980s, the recovery of film sent back to Earth and capsules from spy satellites. Uh, this is from the express.co.uk. Uh, and so basically they landed and they recovered them by helicopter, um, but they used mock-up capsules for practice sessions. And they produced uh, images of the capsule that looked exactly like the drawings that were in the notebook well after the fact. Oh. Um, but he's like, yeah, we uh, we kind of knew what it was and we couldn't really say anything because we're doing spy stuff. Yeah, we didn't <laughs> want the Soviets to get onto it. Yeah. No. Um, which is so I guess one of the inter- interesting thing is there has been three different people claim responsibility policeman SAS mm-hmm. and the ARSS ARRS sorry yeah us 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 um which you know that kind of adds a couple of layers to like at least 
two of these groups are lying, mm. probably all of them are in some way. <laughs> um, and they're all, you know, different departments of army and law enforcement. Mm. Wow, who would have thought that they uh, could lie? <laughs> no, I've said before that policemen and the army people lie, and you guys are like, oh, no, soldiers don't lie. You know, they're honourable men. A few war crimes increase later in the story's changed. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I feel like whatever that incident was was not as black and white as this one. It was all UFO stuff. Okay. <laughs> like, why would a copper lie? It's like, well, you might want to look look into a few things, mate. <laughs> anyway. Um, I just want to talk about the, the three amateur investigators. Yes. Uh, Brenda Butler. Dot Street and Jenny Randalls. That's <laughs> Jenny Randalls, not Jenny Randalls. Jenny. Look, a few writers out there looking for names, you know, oh, I need to think of a name for my character. Brenda Butler, Dot Street, or Jenny Randalls. They're all bad names. No, there's three home runs for <laughs> if you. You're making names up. These are not the names you choose. Um, anyway, so she said she's been stalked by the um, Ministry of Defence when they've been investigating it and there's been people coming to her house and knocking on her door and then running away or standing in her driveway. Um, but she said uh, it'd been followed by the army jeeps and then one night we went back to the forest and got pictures of these orbs. She saw these white orbs. Um, there was a police car and police helicopter observing. They said, don't come here again. And then she says, why, after 35 years, are they still bothering us if nothing happened? Which is crazy to me that the story is not the orbs that she saw. It's the fact that she's being bothered by the police. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So apparently there's still orbs happening out there. And apparently other people are saying that it's a a hotbed of activity. Uh, But the Ministry of Defence say Brenda's claims don't make any sense. They axed the UFO project in 2009. Uh, and if they were still involved, they wouldn't and couldn't tell a civilian not to investigate. I can only assume there's been a misunderstanding and that perhaps they've told her not to trespass on Ministry of Defence land. Uh, Apparently they made her sign a contract and he says, I'd like to see the contract she refers to, which, I don't know, these are all convenient excuses. Mm -hmm. We stopped investigating. Uh, It's just a misunderstanding, the, the old British thing. Anyway, that's Brenda Butler. Dot Street and Jenny Randalls. <laughs> I think that's the Rendlesham Forest uh, incident. Yeah. That's pretty good, this one. Yeah, I liked it. There was a lot of twists and turns. Actually, one last thing. When the guys from that original video I watched were, like, walking through the forest, they noticed that a lot of trees had been chopped down. And, the like, the true believer was like, why would they be chopping down all these trees? And his mate was like, that's, they're probably managing the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the in the tunnels one, one like uh, the tunnel conspiracy which oh, ended, yeah. ended up just being they were like literally 90% of the video was them sourcing breakfast and cooking it right yep. and then they went to they were driving around these roads going oh yeah then they ran across this field and chased the lights over there and then then they would just rock up at this part of the forest where there's a great there's a like like one of those orange safety mesh uh, plastic fences around this thing on the ground with a bit of uh, like mesh over the top of it. And it's just like an opening to a tunnel. And they're like, yep, here we go. There's proof confirmed tunnels. 
and they like climb down into it and the the beardy guy shuffle it's, it's like a really really it's, it looks like a, it's a drain right it's not a tunnel yeah. it's a drain there's clear watermarks from where the water's been running through this drain anyway he goes in there crawls along it about like i don't know 10 meters with the camera and he goes oh it's, it's far isn't it and like you can see that they go on for ages and then he kind of He's like, oh, I can't turn around to crawl out. I have to just crawl backwards. But he leaves the camera where he was and crawls backwards to the opening and then goes to the other one. Go get the camera. He's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I don't want to go in there. He's like, go, I'm just going there and get the camera. He's like, oh, I don't want, I don't want to go in there. It's, it's tight, isn't it? I don't want to go in there. And he, he, like, he just eggs him on until he goes in there. He crawls about like half a meter and goes, nah, <laughs> backs out. And then next minute you see the beardy guy crawling back down the the tunnel to get the camera. Oh, perfect. I love those guys. Yeah. I, th- I think I must have watched an earlier one because I remember in the one I watched, they walked past something and the beardy guy goes, ooh, what's that? And the other guy goes, it's a drain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what these things clearly were. And then they even say, probably just drainage, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, probably. Probably just empties out into it. Oh, that's why that farm gets flooded down there. Okay. Yep. You solved it, mate. And then at, at one other point, they're walking through the... the <laughs> The forest bit and one of them goes what's what's that out there what's that red thing out there it's like i see a like a red i see a red thing against like a dark background in the, just through there what's that and the other one goes it's a berry on a holly bush <laughs> and he goes oh i must need me glasses and then they just carry on <laughs> this is why it'll never be <laughs> as well remembered as roswell, as roswell. <laughs> So that was the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. Uh, if people want to find us online, we are on Twitter at Hypothepod. We're on Facebook. We are on Patreon at uh, the Hypothetical Institute. And thank you to our two cooked $33 sponsors, Tammy and Vanessa. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Saltmarsh on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere in uh, the salt on Twitch if you want to watch me do some drawings uh, or andrewsaltmarsh.com for everything else. Robo, where can they find you? You can get me at Ale of a Time uh, on all the social medias for all of my things. Uh, you can find me at Sexenheimer on Twitter. I am on my other podcast is on iTunes, Gather Around Me, and my radio show on 3CR. Yeah, Nah, Passaran is available on all the podcast places. And if you want to check out our Patreon, we do a news show every week, and we're about to go record that now. So we'll see you later. Bye. Yeah. Don't worry. About a thing Except if all our world leaders are alien reptilians I said don't worry About a thing Except maybe the fluoride in our water supply contains mind-altering drugs Don't worry About a thing Except whether or not Port Arthur was a false flag operation in which to disarm Australia I said don't worry about a thing I accept you can definitely hear John Lennon say I buried Paul at the end of Strawberry Fields forever Don't worry about a thing Except not only did Bush do 9-11 but he also keeps the planes out in Area 51 which